0: Hi, this is Dungeon Master Mitch. And
1: this is Dungeon Master Ian.
0: We wanted to take a quick second and tell you a little bit about our Patreon page.
1: We have been working hard to bring you some awesome content with our Block Party Podcast Network shows. And we couldn't do it without your support over at Patreon.
0: We have made a lot of changes over at our Patreon page, trying to bring you the best rewards and set the best stretch goals that we can.
1: If you want to check out more, head on over to Patreon and search Block Party Podcast Network. Thank you so much for just listening to our shows and supporting
0: us in that way. We wouldn't be where we are today without you. And now, enjoy the show. Well, welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I am one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch.
1: And I'm Dungeon Master Neil, a.k.a. Jolt maniac.
0: And today we have a really special guest. We're excited. We have Greg Tito, the communications manager of Dungeons & Dragons at Wizards of the Coast and host of Dragon Talk, an official Dungeons & Dragons podcast here with us. And what are we going to be talking about, Neil? We
1: are going to be talking about one world, multiple impacts. Essentially, you have your campaign world that you're running. You made it yourself. You're running one that you bought off the shelf was rhymed and now I don't like that I said it. Um, <laughs> and but you have multiple groups running. What are the challenges and what are the rewards from doing something like that? Taking on that yeah. that
0: task. And they're impacting each other. They are it's it's essentially they are PCs living in the same world and they can impact each other and maybe even meet up. And that's definitely something we'll talk about. But before we do start talking about that and getting into the meat, Neil, we have some five-star reviews.
1: Yes, and they're from America's Hat, Canada. (laughs) So for our first one, it is from Amsdale, and it's titled My DM Mecca. The best fantasy debate podcast. I'm a DM, or was. I had a group of friends I played with in high school, but come college, we went our separate ways. It happens, yeah. But I kept building my D&D world. To the point I'm at now, about 10 years later. My world, Tyree, is a living world with continents, kingdoms, and stories. So I decided to write a fantasy story out of it. Your podcast touches on so many aspects of fantasy and DD from the point of view of every class, creature, hero, and enemy. Keep it up, guys. It's great. Also, I have Joke maniac stuck in my head. What's the deal with that name? It's jote, like J O A T.
0: <laughs> oh gosh, you're joke maniac from now on. Uh, it's sticking,
1: no. Aka
0: joke maniac. <laughs> Our next one comes from Churter, and it is entitled "Great for New DMs." I'm a new DM, and I find the ideas these guys cover to be extremely helpful in perfecting my DM technique. So, thank you so much for those reviews, Amsdale and Churter. Yes, thank you. We super appreciate it.
1: And with that, let's head to the meat.
0: I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days.
1: Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat back on the
2: menu, boys.
0: So for the meat today, we have a special guest. We have Greg Tito, communications manager for D&D at Wizards of the Coast and host on Dragon Talk, an official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Greg, welcome so much to the show.
2: Oh, thank you, sir. Uh, I'm uh, excited to be here and uh, talk to you guys about dungeon mastering. Yes, we are excited to have you. I was
1: wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Obviously, applicable stuff, like, you know, D&D, <laughs> but whatever you whatever strikes your mood, you can say your favorite food. Nothing. I'm not stopping you on any, <laughs> any topic you want to share right now.
2: I grew up in a small fishing village in the coast of Norway. <laughs> oh, and I remember when I was six, I caught my first fish. No, um, I... Uh, yeah. Oh, that, you that, really that, had me with that story. <laughs> I <laughs> want to hear that keep going. <laughs> yeah, Judge Mastery's all about improvisation, man. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah. I am uh, one of those people who came into D&D later in life. I guess that's kind of a, a interesting biographical detail. I loved it when I was a kid. My brothers had... Uh, I think it was the Dungeon Master's Guide on his shelf. And I remember being like, you know, in, in fifth grade or fourth grade, going through his bookshelf. I I'd already pilfered Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and read that and didn't understand yes. half the jokes. But it didn't matter because it was, you know, I felt cool. was already starting to, to devour uh, The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. And then I found this book uh, and I was like, whoa, what is this? And I popped it open and it just spoke to me on so many levels all the fantasy and sci-fi stuff that i'd been you know interested in this was a way to embody that i also came in a very catholic background so whenever i tried to bring up that i wanted to play this game uh (laughs) it was frowned upon not so much like you know i got you know uh, punished or anything for it but it was definitely hard to do to to kind of create any kind of you know, campaign or anything like that. So what I did, I just made a lot of characters and kind of, you know, just filed those away in my brain. I don't even know if those still exist, but... So I never got to play. I, I, there was a couple of, of, of starts and stops. I tried to do a Middle Earth role-playing game uh, session in um, in high school. Uh, college, we tried to do something, uh, but my friends were never really those, those friends. We had a lot of shared interests. We played a lot of video games together, but for some reason I couldn't convince them to do D&D. And then I got to uh, my adult life, and I moved to New York City, and I got married. And I was looking around, and I was like, wait a second, I can actually... Played Dungeons and Dragons. Now there's nothing stopping me. I'm an adult, (laughs) so uh, I got uh, again a few starts and stops there in New York City. Of course, you'd think there'd be like tons of role players there, and there are. But there's also a lot of ones that may not mesh with your specific play style. So I tried out a few. Eventually, found one group. Really latched onto. We were playing the Age of Worms campaign, which was one of Paizo's first adventure paths that they were doing in Dungeon Magazine. We really loved that because it had this this, this great connection to old Greyhawk mythology. Some of the stuff that I, I didn't know about because I was not a, uh, you know, as I said, I loved that one specific book. But I didn't follow along with the mythology of Dungeons & Dragons very much just because I didn't have access to it. So it was it was cool to uh, have the Dungeon Master who was really into the story and the lore of, of Greyhawk specifically and impart that to the players, me especially. So that was really fun. We played that for like two or three years, a long-standing 3.5 campaign, got my half-elf ranger up to level twenty. 20- Two, I think, by the end. Uh, so that's definitely one of my longest played characters. <laughs> I also got to stress out the system of three point five a lot there. I, I remember my my ranger had six attacks per turn, I believe, Ooh, uh, nice. uh, which got very hard to add. So I, I, oh yeah, so much math. Those epic levels. I know, and you're like, there's so many conditional modifiers and stuff because you know three point five was all about the different feats and stuff that you could build on there. So there was, you know, I had an extra D six of damage against undead and two d six of fire, I could if this you know. So I built a dice roller uh, or damage roller essentially in Excel. Uh, it's the, the nice. most programming I've ever done uh, in in an Excel spreadsheet, <laughs> and it was all for the you know probably put like a good sixteen to twenty hours in building this, <laughs> just so I could hit a button and be like, all right, I did uh, you know ninety five points of damage.
1: DM's best friend right there.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. At first, he was a little distrustful because he's not... I wouldn't say he's a Luddite, but he was a little bit like, what, how is this going to work? But he uh, eventually loved the fact that it sped up the game, and it wasn't like, "Um, what's 10 plus, you know, the whole time.
0: <laughs> I love, like, lower levels. Like, I, l- I like it about up until, like, level 10, and that's one thing I like about 5th edition is it's definitely gotten a lot less crazy with all of that yeah but i remember playing those epic games with like my players in 3.5 and they love those epic levels so whenever they were rolling that those dice and doing math i'd like to just get up from behind like my screen and just go like right behind them and get close and be like are you having fun right now? <laughs> are, you, are you having fun doing math? <laughs> is this this the... is why I like lower levels. Right. Is
2: this the best part of the game, really? Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Should I take a five-minute break while
2: you while add you that? add that up and then tell me what,
0: how you kill uh, my monster? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's awesome that you uh created a whole Excel sheet though to speed up the game. Yeah. That's, that's very inventive. So one of the things that you do for Wizards, for D&D at Wizards, is you run Dragon Talk, one of the official Dungeons & Dragons podcasts. Can you tell us, our listeners, who most of them have probably listened to your show, but if anybody out there hasn't, tell us a little bit about Dragon Talk.
2: Sure. Uh, It is, uh, yeah, I call it an official uh, podcast, but it was the official for a while because we split it up into Dungeon Delve. And it was, I mean, the podcast was, I I don't want to uh, uh, disparage the work that had come before that I came on here about a week and a half, a year and a half ago, but it was was a little bit of like an afterthought. It was like, oh, hey, we want to, you know, we had these live play sessions that we did with Penny Arcade, you know, back in 2008. And those were great and kind of spawned the whole, you know, Acquisitions Incorporated idea and got a lot of new people, Playing Dungeons and Dragons, and then uh, uh, fast forward a few years, and that live li- all that live play had shifted to video. And during the uh, the PAX West and PAX East games. And so Dragon, or at the time, it was just called the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast, kind of morphed into Mike Murrells and Jeremy Crawford talking about the rules at one point. There was a little bit, during the D&D Next playtest, there was a a lot of discussion about, you know, what rules were in, what were out, and their decision-making process. And that was really cool to get that insight into the process. And then Shelley Mazzanoble, my colleague, and Bart Carroll, who was my colleague and is now my colleague again. Shifted it to more of an inter- interview focused thing. I when I came on, I really loved that idea to have people talking about their love of Dungeons and Dragons and trying kind to of shift it to more of like a guest almost talk show focus. And we got great feedback from that and it was interesting that that, that people who you'd recognize outside of the D and D world were excited to talk about it and come on the podcast. So we had Rain Wilson, we had a few Comedians uh, who uh, write for, for major uh, late night shows come on. Uh, a few rock musicians. Uh, we just talked to Ben Queller and um, Chris Funk from the Decemberists, not together but separately. Uh, so it was kind of like this this melding of like you know with Dan Harmon. Um, they talked to as well. So just people who who you wouldn't normally think of associated with Dungeons and Dragons were happy to come on and talk about it. And so it really became a celebration of D and D fandom uh, in a way. Then, about a, a couple months ago, I, I, we added a segment called Lore You Should Know. More to get, you know, to get a little bit more of the the, the hardcore lore out there uh, about Dungeons & Dragons. Because, as I said when I was talking about my biography, not everybody is completely versed in Forgotten Realms lore. Like, you know, you play Dungeons & Dragons, most people do homebrew, you know, or, uh, you know, their d- Dungeon Master puts in a few details from from Dungeons & Dragons' uh, uh, official publications but it's nobody has like a huge holistic view of of what's happening in the world except for the people in this office and I really wanted to like get some of that out through conversation Uh, I'd also been listening to a uh, a podcast called Stuff You Should Know uh, in which they they kind of have like a breezy conversational tone while discussing you know some really interesting you know pieces of history or things that are happening now in the world so I I like that I, I, I set up you know, uh, uh, kind of a weekly session talking with Chris Perkins and Matt Cernet here in the office, just about the Forgotten Realms and what makes it cool. Um, and I've learned a lot just from doing that segment, and I hope uh, listeners have too. So we're always thinking about new ways to communicate with uh, with fans and uh, and get more excitement about not only playing Dungeons and Dragons, but learning about, you know, what, what makes it great, and, and uh, the lore is a big part of that for me.
0: As listeners I think we've all seen like the energy that's really been recently just put into the show and I know that just those those different segments and those guest focuses they've definitely just brought not like you said disparaging on what it was before but it's brought like new life to it and it's been awesome.
2: Cool. Thanks man. Yeah. And we're you know we're trying to get out on as many platforms as possible and trying to make it more of a a bigger a bigger thing than it was. And also just going to a weekly format shifted things a lot too. You know, I think it used to be you know bi-monthly or or you know, and, and the idea of having a new th- a new piece of of, of of audio to listen to every week has, has really contributed to it as well. So
1: the other question we have for you is, what first got you interested in DMing? Kind of coming across the screen, as it were.
2: That's a good question. Um, yeah, because as I said, uh, I played in a long campaign for a while, and it did some some dabbling in DMing, uh, but was never successful. It was honestly, I. Went to a new place. I moved to North Carolina, and uh, there were a few people who played uh, and were running games, but I wanted to involve new people, people who may not know about it or, or expressed interest in Dungeons & Dragons but didn't want to play in the specific style that uh, the, the preeminent DMs of that kind of social group were playing. So the dungeon master was strict in his rule interpretation and would cause a lot of player deaths, revelled in in people dying a lot. And they were like, oh, "I don't want to do that. I want to get more into the story and have more of a you know a swashbuckling adventure type thing." I'm like, "Oh yeah, well I can do that, and that's actually the style that I I like sometimes the uh, the, the hard mode DM too. But you know I also really like that. So um, and this is actually a good segue into our other thing. But I I put out a call. This was when I was uh, at the Escapist. Uh, so it was an office in Durham, North Carolina, and there was about you know 20 to 30 people there. So not a big office by any means. And I put out a call over like email and be like, hey, who wants to play, at the time, let's play Fourth Edition? Like, that's who wants to play Dungeons and & Dragons. And I, got, I think I got 15 people who said they wanted to play in a lunchtime campaign. That's way too much for one group. That's a lot. <laughs> uh, so that's, uh, I didn't expect that much interest, so maybe we'll do two. Maybe we'll do two groups. And uh, honestly, that was my first kind of foray into a longstanding campaign uh, where I was dungeon mastering. And then once I did that, I I fell in love with it. I loved always having to be on your toes, always being called upon to make decisions. I love playing a lot of board games. I love, you know, when I was a kid, I played Axis and Allies a lot. That's a really fun game. But if you have five people playing, there's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of stuff you don't, you know, you're waiting for your turn. And Dungeons and Dragons isn't isn't necessarily like that, but it can be. It can feel definitely like, especially in combat, that you're like, oh, I'm just waiting for for my spotlight uh, as a player. I was definitely always more of a an instigator type player. Like I always wanted to be doing something. I always wanted to to keep stuff going. And so as a player, I would sometimes get frustrated that uh, people would choose to do you know different things or take a lot of time. And I would you know I just wanted the, the game to move forward. But as a dungeon master. You're, that's that's your job is to instigate and move things forward and always continue to make sure everyone is having fun and enjoying what's happening. So I just think my personality type and my play style fits most with being a DM, and I still I still like to play. I still like to you know take the focus off me and 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 do weird crazy characters uh, as well. But um, <laughs> I definitely I think that uh, dungeon mastering just kind of suits my 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 love of the game a little bit more.
0: Well, Greg, we have as we do with all of our guests to wrap this. Interview segment up, we have a surprise question for you. Surprise question. So this surprise question comes from one of our Patreon dragons. His name is, well, at least on the forums, his name is Frotastic, <laughs> and he is a gold dragon. Um, and his question is to you, and I love I love the way he states this: what celebrities would you like to play D D with? And why is it Nathan Fillion? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh man, I would love to play with Nathan Fillion. I think he's, uh, <laughs> he is one of those, uh, uh, actors that I feel like plays himself <laughs> right and I don't mean that in a bad way I just feel like he's, no, not at all. he's so good at being that like lovable scoundrel uh that I would uh yeah you're right I would totally love to play with him he would you know maybe I would make him play against type like okay now you have to be mm. here be a uh you know a, a bible thumping paladin go for it <laughs> yeah that would be tons of fun uh David Duchovny is another one that comes to mind I love him on x-files and you know the a, a couple of his other roles but I have you ever seen him on like talk shows or something like that? I don't think so. He's got the driest wit, and it's <laughs> it, it, it slays me every single time. Uh, uh, so I would love to just kind of bring
0: think, that dry wit into
2: you, into a game of yours, exactly, <laughs> and be like, "All right, now you're going to play the fifth edition bard who has like you know <laughs> all of those awesome uh, uh, you know vicious uh, vicious mockery you know uh, yep. cantrips and like make sure he he." Uh, You know, has to do insults every single time he does that uh, in in character. Deborah Ann Wall is probably another one that I would love to play with. She's in Daredevil. She was in True Blood. And I recently found out that she loves Dungeon Mastering, actually. Like, she played D&D for a long time, and then now she's... uh, I listened to a podcast that she did with her her boyfriend, and then she... It was funny how the roles were reversed. She is really into Dungeons & Dragons, and the boyfriend is not. Uh, And so he was like... (laughs) It, it, it sounded like indulging her and in, in having her talk about uh, what made her campaign cool and then I was I just love that and I thought that uh, I, I love her as, as a as an actress and I and I you know thought that uh, the way she approached the creativity of, of, of developing her campaign would be awesome. So yeah I would love to to play with her and I also really like uh, aisha Tyler. I know her the most from hosting the Ubisoft press conferences during E3, <laughs> uh, probably, which sounds crazy, but she's been in a, a couple of other roles and uh, is a great host. But she cracks me up in the way that she can control a room of rabid gamers while also not feeling false at all. Like she actually, you know, I, I, I can tell that she has a love of all games, uh, and I've heard through the grapevine that she has played Dungeons & Dragons too. So I would love to to insert her into the group and see how that uh, how that all gets mixed up. But well, that was a cool question. Thank you, uh, Fro Tastic. I hope your I hope your gold dragon has a big fro. That's all I gotta say.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. So for the meet today, I reached out to you, Greg, and I said, "Hey, what is a topic that you would like to discuss on dungeon mastering?" And something that you brought up as a something you've been thinking about a lot lately, and something you have a passion on, is this idea of running games in one world, the same world, but having multiple groups. Running through that world and their actions having consequences and impacts on the other groups that they're running the game through. So let's start talking about this whole idea. I think the first thing to talk about is what are the different like methods of DMing mm-hmm. uh, that you can have for this type of games. Like it's it's a couple games, not a game that you're running. So what are the different methods? How can you do this?
2: I mean, it really goes down to your DM style. I mean, I think, you mm-hmm. know, you'd think that, uh, you know, it, it, it stands to reason that you would want to prepare a lot. Like, you, as a dungeon master, you would want to have a, a complete background uh, so that if the two groups are playing in the same, you know, general area of a, of a fantasy world, that, that you would really want that area fleshed out so that there was... So that the fun improvisational parts would come from uh, how you were taking the events that happened in one group uh, and and imparting that knowledge to what's happening with the other group. Um, you know, assuming you have two. If you have multiple ones, then you know you're even more crazy than I thought. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs>
0: it's going to become even more difficult. <laughs> yeah, uh,
2: but I think you know I, I think Dungeon Masters who who prepare a lot would 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 do that. But you could I think there's also the argument to be made that you could also do it in an improvisational way uh so that there's not you know so you you obviously prep and you understand the events that occurred uh in in each session but you don't necessarily have to you know spend hours and hours writing down your notes and memorizing them you know i, I feel like the broad strokes are what's what's more important and what people will remember so for example that that example uh, i gave earlier of, of of running two groups uh it was we used the red box of uh in fourth edition, which was the Nentir Vale, I believe. And I set it up that it was during an ice age. So it was the Nentir Vale. It had the the same locations and basically used that map, but it was all under, you know, sheets of ice, uh, essentially, and snowfall. Um, so it was almost like a, it was, it combined two ideas of mine. One was, was playing in a, uh, you know, a dark sun like apocalyptic campaign where the resources were really, Short, this idea of having the multiple uh, uh, parties going through the same thing. And the one event that really latched on to both groups was there was a a goblins were attacking a village. I believe it was the village of Fallcrest, And I'd set up that as like happening and one group uh, had learned that this was going to happen and they ignored all my hooks essentially <laughs> wait players don't do yeah. that come on <laughs> you know i had them uh you know find out the evidence that there was a massive you know goblin army they saw the goblin army they, i think they even interrogated one of the goblins to find out where they were going and what was going to happen uh, they had just come from the the village of fallcrest uh, and they decided to be like well we have this other hook where there's treasure in a cave <laughs> to the north let's go do that and uh that <laughs> happened and i was like okay well uh and then the next you know, a few sessions, uh, I, I remember in the other, because the other group was at a little bit farther away, and I was like, you see, you know, smoke uh, trails going up, you know, in, mm. in the distance, about, you know, 50 miles away. It's really hard, but everything is flat uh, and clear, so the, the visibility was high. And then we never really touched on it again, and then that, the group that ended up going to the cave kind of uh, petered out. Some people uh, left, and we just didn't end up playing with that group anymore. But I was playing with the other group uh, a little bit longer. And they returned to the city of uh, the, the village of Fallcrest as a broken husk uh, with goblins hmm. occupying it. And uh, it wasn't, in, I, I think, after one or two sessions, there was, you know, lots of stories evolved with them trying to save people who were in there or whatever. But I let it loose. That, like, oh, you know, you know, the reason why this this city is like this because the other group totally abandoned this town and they did that and they were all like what oh my gosh that's what happened why did they do that and they immediately like left that session and went to go like make fun of the other group uh, or those who were left from <laughs> the other group to be like what do, why did you do that <laughs> we're like you know dealing with the consequences of your actions so i think you know basically you can i think you can do it in broad strokes i think is what is going to be most important what's going to hmm. have the most impact like it doesn't necessarily have to have you know every event that happens throughout um, the adventures has to impact the other groups, but larger ones should definitely have, you know, tentpole events should should be important and everyone should experience, you know, some impact from that, you know, but then you can also even smaller things like, oh, that's the same, you know, bartender, you know, did the same mannerisms with that group than he did with that group, but that kind of thing, you know, I feel like yeah. is, is also um, really valid ways to do this too.
0: I think the way that you're talking about DMing uh, this style is, the way that most DMs that are going to try to do this or are doing this out there are going about it. We're talking about, like, you are the DM running through either your own homebrew world or a an adventure that you have picked up or through Forgotten Realms and Established World or whatever – and then you have multiple groups two or like you said if you're if you're really crazy more than two yeah another way that i i know that this can be done and i think this is probably going to be the way that less people do it just simply because it's harder because you're bringing together more people in one place at one time in the collaboration but i did for uh, a catacon when me and one of our other co hosts uh, dm chris went to a catacon uh, we did two games at uh, two different tables with two different groups, but we decided that we were going to be in the same world at the same time. And so Uh what we would do is both groups knew that this was going to be the case, and so what we would do is like every now and then we'd call a little bit of a break. Me and Chris would get together. And just check up on each other and say, where's your group at? What's what's happening with this group? And eventually it led into uh, the two groups at the end of the game, like meeting up. Oh, cool. Uh, but like, it, it was pretty sweet because the other group would do something. And even if we didn't like schedule a meeting, I'd have to be like, hey, my group just did something. I'd be like, uh, hold on, guys. And I just walk over <laughs> to the other table and tell Chris, hey, so they just did this your characters are probably going to notice what they just did. Like, it's going to have impact on their world. And it was it was pretty cool, but I, I imagine that would be pretty difficult to do rather than a one-shot at a convention where everybody's there on a regular basis with another DM and oh, two groups getting together on the same night. And just, just in the fact that you need a lot of space to do that in general, but... Right. Um, but that's definitely another way that people can
2: try. I like that. I like that in a convention play. That's
1: my experience with it as well. That That's my <laughs> main experience is being at a um, local gaming store. And it was right when fifth edition was going to come out. And th- essentially three groups went into a dungeon at the exact same time. Man. And there was <laughs> there was one person designated at each table that could write down notes and communicate with a, the other like selected <laughs> person at the other tables. It's like I could write a note and then they would hand it to either table two or three and they could read it and then they would have to relay to their group and they could message me back kind of thing. But yeah, the orchestration on that. It takes a lot of work.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I started really thinking about this again because of two people I spoke to on the podcast uh, for the for Dragon Talk. One was. Ben Cameron, who is kind of living the dream as being a professional dungeon master to <laughs> groups of people here in Seattle. And uh, when we asked him to, to, to be on the podcast, that was the, the, the main reason. But in speaking to him, I realized that he has been doing this for like the last three or four years. He has separate groups running in the same world and uh, impacting you know each other. And he has, you know, he's got a, a huge well. Like the mythology that he's able to spout out about his his homebrew world is is really intense and amazing. Uh, you know, almost to the level of like he's you know memorized it and 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 feels it, you know, from the core of his soul. So that was really impressive to me. And I was like, wow. I, I mean, I really thought about this idea a lot. I was like, one of the things that really lo- I loved about Dungeons and Dragons when I was a kid. Uh, again, fascinated with it was it was something that. It, MMOs uh, really—the idea of an MMO being like here—you're in a shared universe with a whole bunch of different people, and you're telling these stories together. Of course, MMOs aren't really like that anymore. It's much more of a hey, you're playing by yourself, and there's some other people Mm. around, and you can group up sometimes. But back in the '90s, when there was that promise of you know living in a virtual world, was really high for me, and I thought Dungeons and Dragons would do that too, and it never really coalesced into that other life kind of feel, right? But what Ben Cameron has, was able to do does feel like that, where it's like, oh, okay, like there actually are consequences and stories and things that that, that that really matter across multiple people, you know, not just the people at your table, but the people, you know, that Ben, you know, plays with uh, uh, on Tuesday nights and those people, and like so, it is this really shared storytelling idea uh, that gets at the core of what I love about uh, Dungeons and Dragons. It's really cool. And then there was another guy who ran a, he's been running the same campaign for 34 years. In a similar kind of thing where people have gone in and out of the campaign, so it's not always the same people, um but he said he's had up to like 40 players being in the same world forever. And he's he's been playing it for 34 years and he's like they haven't even they don't even really understand what the major threat of this campaign world is yet. <laughs> and I was like, "What? They haven't okay, even scratched insane. the surface." Yeah. People can do it, and it's it's really interesting uh, uh, to me when they do, because of and, and you can do it in these long format, you know, kind of things, and doesn't necessarily need to be at a convention. Although I do like the fun of that being in a in a, in a convention setting, and that taps into something that one of my uh, I used to write some some RPG material for uh, Goodman Games, and one of my co writers was in that first group I played with in New York. Uh, his name's Tavis Allison. He really loved the idea of that multiple parties going through the same dungeon idea that you guys were just talking about doing in, in that mm-hmm. one of that thing. And it's, it is a bit of a D and D trope that we're like, you know, that when you're going through a dungeon, there's evidence that other people <laughs> have been there before. You know, you even just, uh, you know, that idea in like uh, Indiana Jones where, you know, he's seen the evidence of people who have sprung the traps from beforehand. You can have it on that smaller scale of it being just in a in an area and seeing the you know the different groups trying to compete to get to the end and get the treasure before the other people do, you know, or you can figure out ways for them to work together.
0: Well, one thing that you said when you were talking about Ben Cameron that kind of like stuck with me was you were basically talking about what, what he does and you said, it's really impressive. And I think the way, the reason why you would describe it as really impressive and, and why most people who understand dungeon mastering in general would describe, what Ben Cameron's doing as really impressive is because this whole idea that we're talking about, yeah. it's definitely, I wouldn't describe it as an easy one. <laughs> like, this <laughs> right. is this is something that brings along, I think, a lot of difficulties to it. And so maybe if we can just, like, talk a little bit about what those difficulties might be and ways that we as DMs can overcome and prepare for difficulties that might come along with this type of DMing.
1: Number one is definitely the minor in cat herding that you get when you're trying to wrangle all your players together in the first place.
0: Oh, yeah, like scheduling and stuff.
1: And then you're going to do that twice, twice over, if not more, because I feel like a lot of people that are going to get into the scenario are kind of like you had mentioned, Greg, earlier. Hey, who wants to play Mm -hmm. D&D? Fifteen of you want (laughs) to play D&D. Okay. Okay. And then trying to figure out who who's really interested, and even half that is seven or eight, and that's still two groups. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Scheduling, I think, would be at the top.
2: That would definitely be hard. You you kind of need to have a a, a, a a like you said a group of people who are committed to doing not only playing on a weekly session, but being like, hey, you know, this is not just a drop in once a month if you can. Like, you know, you need to kind of be invested in this world. But I also think that this might increase players' investment a little bit. Like if there is, and maybe the best way to do it would be to cr- make sure there was an out-of-game component where people could continue, like, you know, by using um, Obsidian Portal or, or, or one of the other tools that allow people to communicate when they're not playing and see the impact uh, of what their actions were and continue to be invested in it. Because it, it is going to be definitely harder, but there's a lot of, there's a more reward to, to this style of play.
0: Yeah, and I think maybe part of that is just, making sure that whatever type of game that you're running doesn't rely on the fact that every single person has to be at every single game every time. Mm. So if somebody does drop out, like I know for for a lot of campaigns that I run, I'm doing like a very uh, linear but loose like storyline, but there is like an overarching plot and like so when a player can't show up for me with a group of four or five I just say you know what it's board game night tonight guys because I don't want to play through the important stuff that we we're you know going into without that person and that PC but I think if you're doing that with multiple groups that may be impacting each other and changing each group's play, you want to play in a in a game in a in a world in an adventure that if somebody says hey I can't come this week you can just say all right well we, you'll be missed but we're going to continue.
2: The other thing to keep in mind, which you just reminded me, was that um, linear storytelling with one clear villain probably isn't the best <laughs> probably story <not. laughs> for this kind of style. Um, like I don't think Curse of Strahd, for example, might not be the best mm-hmm. thing that you'd want to choose for this. But maybe not. Actually, no. Now, now, I kind of take that back because there, a lot of what we did with that adventure was creating a sandbox around Barovia. Oh, now I'm actually thinking about like, what if Strad was able to? <laughs> now play you're the thinking groups. it will be
0: a great idea.
2: Huh? <laughs> yeah, playing the groups off each other uh, as the evil villain of Strad would be a lot of fun. All right. Well, but you know what I'm trying to say is like, you need you need something that is uh, uh the way there's there's things that each group is able to do in the world that would feel like they have impact and so it does not lend itself to a completely linear like you need to resolve everything at this location before you go on to the next location kind of style of 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 campaign you need to f- make it feel way more sandboxy because that's part of the fun is that they get to choose where they go and what they do then impart that those those events and the, you know what happened to them to the other group so that if they show up to one of those locations they can be like oh well this is already looted or this you know the mayor of this town was already deposed because he was a or you know that kind of thing
0: yeah and kind of piggybacking off of that whether you're going to whether you're going to run like a linear storyline or linear for each group so maybe they're both going through different plots that will lead them into the same place or whatever it is or if you're doing sandbox i think something that you need to think about is like, the, the time frame for each group. So, like, when you get together on Thursday to play with Group A, are they going to be playing at the same time in your world as when you meet on Friday with Group B? And if that is the case, like, what happens if Group A goes to the same exact town with Group B? What, what do you do in that situation where you don't have the players all one spot, but the PC's... Would meet up. I think these are things you have to think through, yeah. and maybe maybe that's some some reason for you to say each group is going to be separated by a week's time or something along those lines, so that you know Group A affected the world this way, and they are somewhere else than Group B is going to be. Of course, there still is difficulty in that because if Group B says, "Hey, we want to we want to in the sandbox campaign go to town, go to the town that Group A is in." You got to figure something out for that, but yeah. uh, that's definitely a difficulty that you wanna you wanna at least prepare for and think for and go. How am I going to how am I going to DM if this happens?
2: Instead of trying to avoid that, I think I would try to encourage that as a DM. I would want them to hmm. be in the same general area. Not necessarily, you know, it would definitely would be difficult to to, to pull off. But I mean, it's part of that connection that makes it. Really interesting, you know, so maybe, you know, like if, if one group, Group A was going and they uh, came to a tavern in the same town where Group B was, I would describe those characters as being in the tavern, you know, You know, and this is the other group and this is what they're doing and, you know, try to do a good job of as a DM of of portraying them the way that the players in Group B portray them. So that they have a sense of like, oh yeah, these are them, and we know them. Um, you know, maybe if you know that is going to happen ahead of time, or you have an inkling, you can ask a player from Group B to guess yeah, to join and to show up, and then play that part and be there, and then you know, go off and do its thing. That no, I, I think you know. As we said, the scheduling of all of those groups together at the same time <laughs> may not be worth it for a chance <laughs> meeting. It might; it would be worth it if it was a planned big um, event, an you know, assault stuff, on yeah. a dragon or something. Right? That, that would be fun to get everybody together, or at least try to get everybody together. As, um, as long
0: as you have mature players that aren't going to go, oh, I know that that's the other PC. Let's pick a fight with them. <laughs>
2: yeah, but then even then, like, uh-huh. you know, I I would play that out. I mean, what what would happen? Yeah, I think that's. I mean, that's the fun of a sandbox campaign. Is like I think you have to. You have to be okay with them making bad choices, and part of the fun is what are the consequences of those choices. It doesn't just impact you; it impacts everybody who's in this shared mm. world.
0: So, Greg, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep asking you. I'm gonna keep uh, drilling you about this because I'm I'm thinking of concerns, and I, I'd love to hear like what what your thoughts are. So, what if that happens with a DM and they? Ha- they allow there to be the PCs from the other group. They meet up, and let's say whether there is a really good reason for it or it's just a player who is that, is that kind of uh, goofy player that's like, ah, I want to fight these guys, and they get yeah. in a fight, and what if one of those PCs like it goes to zero? How would you handle that?
2: Well, that is a very good question. I think I would attempt to play it out as much as the way... It would happen if those players were there. Hmm. So if there is a peacemaker in group B, I would use that PC's abilities or whatever to try and stop the fight, you know, just as they would if they were there. Yeah. kind of thing, you know. The worst case scenario that you're you're really asking about is like what if one player kills another player, <laughs> exactly. and the screen? player's not there? Yeah, yeah, and you have to show up and be like, oh, by the way, player A, your character's dead. Player Sorry, B. buddy. Sorry, but I didn't do anything because that's that's that horrible thing. You don't want to ever say yep. that to someone. Um, no. Nope. So I would try to figure out a way in game to do to to control that as much as possible. And then, if none of that worked, I would have to. I think I would do some Deus Ex Machina kind of thing, probably of hmm. like, you know, uh, a big bad shows up in the middle of the fight, and they all have to join together and fight. Work together, or, yeah. You know, the 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 mayor or the sheriff comes in and arrests one of them or something. You know, like, and that person is in jail. And then they instead of them being, you know, instead of player A killing player B. Player A, uh, uh, you know, has to start the next session in jail, or maybe Player yeah. B is also in jail, and they're in two cells next to each other, and then they have to talk through their differences or something like that. I don't know. Some way where, like, it doesn't just get hand-waved and be like, no, you can't do that.
0: Yeah, I think that, like, you use the word deus ex machina, and I think that a lot of players out there, like, hear that, and they, I think they cringe at that. But I think that in this sense, like, it's a really good thing because not only are you protecting the players that aren't there and their Mm -hmm. characters, but you're also saying to the players that are doing this... Everybody's PCs are important to me in the sense of like, I'm not going to allow you to kill these PCs without the players being here, and I would do the same thing for you guys. I mean, allowing that to happen and getting up to that point, I mean, that will become a really important and interesting event when you get back to Group A and say... Hey by the way this is what happened to your characters you were brought <laughs> to the brink of death by this character yeah. this character is now in jail you probably hate this character from the other group now like what yeah. do you do about this it it, it right. brings up really interesting story hooks and everything
2: Yeah and what better way to create a rivalry between the two parties Yeah you know? absolutely and then what if okay so then as the DM you're like well I didn't even do that they did that and I'm just working into the story <laughs> you know so like all right instead of this being like a, a story about two groups of adventurers working together. Let's figure out how they can compete, you know? And yeah. <laughs> and I think that you're right. That like changes the story completely, but uh, uh, I think it would be satisfying for everybody.
1: Yeah. That was my question initially was that not that it's happenstance, but that it's almost clandestine that you have two parties that start out one good, one evil. I mean, obviously that's very black and white, but helps the conversation yeah. and eventually they will come to a head. And for me personally, I'm trying to figure out, like, how high should the stakes be for two long-running campaigns once they run into each other? Because obviously people get really attached to their characters, and you could definitely go the deus ex machina road, even if they're good and evil. Something more evil could show up right. and want to get them all, but, ooh.
2: Maybe it's something that completely doesn't. nobody understands. Like, what if hmm. all of a sudden time stops in the middle of a punch you know, and nobody knows why, uh, and they have to break out of it. I, you know, like, I, I I, see it as an opportunity to raise, to add more hooks instead of yeah. it, it taking away hooks, honestly.
0: Yeah. Instead of it being a problem, it's it's just – yeah, it's it's good to think through these things and, and not get caught off guard and go, oh, no, like, what do I have to do here? I have yeah. to, like, say, ah, we're going to rewind. We're going to, like – P- pretend that I never did that. Like, just, just even if you need to take a second as DM and go, you know, guys, give me a second. I got to think about what, what's going to happen here. Yeah. Like, I think just like that's okay. Like, that's okay to do that every now and then. Like,
1: absolutely. That's a classic uh, time for a bathroom break. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, guys, don't, I'll be don't back mind I really me. Have to I've, pee. I've just got all my books with me. No worries. I'll be back <laughs> in like a half hour. Don't worry about it. I'm just
2: going
0: to take my notebook to the bathroom.
2: The other thing I wanted to mention. And kind of what you were talking about as far as like there being a time difference and stuff, you know, as one possible solution to this, timekeeping actually does become way more important. Uh, I don't know if about you as a DM, but I don't necessarily, you know, it depends on the, on, the, mm. on the thing. Like when I was running the Out of the Abyss campaign, I was definitely keeping track of days a little bit more. But, you know, if, if it doesn't matter... It's very easy to be like, oh, I don't know, a week has passed. Like you, don't,
0: you Yeah, you don't normally keep the game calendar right by your side and go, oh, I know that it is this date at this time. Like, yeah, it's not something normally in campaigns that I think we focus on.
2: But I think in this style of a campaign, you really need to do that. You really mm. need to know what day things happened, not necessarily to show to the players, but just so in your own head you know the timeline of, of events in this world. Because yeah. you're the only one as a dungeon master who's able to do that. You know, in this, you you know, you are, I mean, you really do become, uh, uh, you know, multiple shards of reality juggling in your head. And so anyway, I mean, I'm not, I'm a terrible note taker as a DM. I don't, I'm not, I wouldn't say that's my strength at all. But in this, I would, I would force myself to do it uh, and, and, and write it down so that you know exactly when things occurred. Yeah, I just think that's that's going to be a a, a a breaking point for a lot of stuff. Where, especially if you start to get things wrong too often, then the whole you know image of what you're trying to create shatters for your players.
0: It's good to take notes in general, but this is a this is a really important time <laughs> to take right, notes. Right, like even for if you don't
1: candidates. take
2: notes, take notes about this is what I'm trying to say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, because you can see how far apart they get too, which was another concern I had about time. Mm. Like if you have like a magic heavy group and they're just like lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolt, long rest. Yeah, And then essentially their timeline just starts edging out farther and farther, whereas the second group might be more martial based and they don't really have casters. So they just keep pushing ahead and it's taking, you know, and the timelines are splitting apart and trying to be aware of that because they could easily end up weeks apart if you're not paying attention. Yeah,
2: especially if people like spellcasters do downtime of, of, you know, researching spells or that kind of thing uh, that can that
0: can build up over time. So when you talk about worlds that this world that you're playing in you have multiple groups I think one of the objectives at least I would have as a DM is I would love to have eventually both teams like meet up at some point if not multiple points and I think that raises the question of are you working with this this game and these multiple games towards these groups working towards teamwork maybe they go after like a big bad or whatever it is together or is it a competition that they are working against each other in the same world for opposite goals and so what are you guys thoughts on that like how do you how do you determine that what are some ideas that you can work towards with that
2: I don't know if I would want to set it up ahead of time. I think that's, that's the takeaway I have from that question is where I don't want to necessarily be latched onto, okay. You know, even just in talking about this, being like, and hey, you guys are working together to do X. Like I, I would say like, you're just in the same world. This touches on like a lot of what we've already, already discussed and just let the events of what the party does kind of dictate the flavor of that. So, you know, in our example of one character attacking another character, like, all right, well, that's like I said, it pretty much sets up this being a rivalry, you know, and maybe even uh, a redemption kind of story, you know, hmm. where like they, you know, they they learn that they have to t- team up in order to do it, but you know, it comes from a, a an animosity between the two to two groups. Or if they seem to work together well, and whenever there's mention of the other group, the other, the other group seems fascinated, wants to connect, and actually, you know, actively works towards meeting up with this other group, then I would say, like, all right, well, you guys are two arms of, maybe they have the same patron, you know, maybe they all fall under the same king or prince or queen who is giving them missions in order to save the, uh, the kingdom, you know, and so they're all working under the same group, and there might be some friendly competition there but so so again i I would dictate it based on what the players want and do
1: yeah i think it's going to be super dependent on the players because do you have two groups that essentially already know each other and then that could that could immediately dictate which way that goes Mm. because it could immediately mean they want to work together or that they don't or it could just be two groups that essentially don't know each other going back to your um, scenario greg where 15 people say yes and just because they all work at the same place doesn't inherently mean that they know each other so Mm. you could have two groups that essentially that is like the journey is better than the destination kind of thing where they're figuring out how do would i interact with these other groups yeah i think you almost have to let it dictate but you can put push it one way or the other depending on how heavy-handed you want to be about the big bad evil because I totally did research while we were talking. It was called Vault of the Dracolich. That's the thing that I played in where it was three groups and we all were trying to get to and stop the Dracolich from rising
2: and Mm. killing everyone. Mm-hmm.
1: You can always th- throw one of those in there. Yeah. It'll make team- <laughs> teamwork will make the dream work. I'm sure at that point. There you
2: go. One idea that just came to my head as you were talking, Neil, was was what if? I mean, we're, we're kind of thinking about these as equal groups, but what if they're not? What if you have a group that's you know 10th, 11th, 12th level, and you wanted to start a new group at level one? And these guys are like kind of like the 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 like literally the B team. Like they are younger, they're less hmm. experienced, and it's actually the members of the group A that are sending them out on missions to go do stuff and trying to prove their worth. And maybe they're, you know, one of them you know, I'm going on a whole bunch of fantasy tropes here but like one of them's like the son of one of the other yeah. you know, people or their daughter oh, yeah. or, you know, and trying to take on that mantle and maybe even have players who are playing in both groups as different characters i think those are other possibilities for 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 this as well so you don't have to worry too much about you know like if you have one player who's like hey i want to play more than one session a week here, here's a great way to do it is actually just to add in you know if you have a couple of newbies uh who, who haven't played before you'd be interested be like here's a great way you can play with an experienced player the explains experience, experienced player is getting something new out of the game that he may not have gotten before or she may not have gotten before and uh you know, I don't know. I think that's just another scenario that you can work with.
0: And that can lead to, like, even guest, like you were talking about before, guest appearances for, like, right. different reasons. I think when you brought up, like, the idea of, like, a son and a father PCs in different different groups, like, my immediate thought was, well, what if one of them dies? Like, Ugh. they're going to want to go... To that person and like hold some sort of funeral and that's that's a way you can have like a guest appearance for that night like he joined the group for that night because he's going to want to be there to like send his father or his son whatever it is uh, into the afterlife with a with an appropriate like funeral like that that sounds like, a great hook there. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, and one thing I also thought of was we talked about, like, bringing the teams together for, like, teamwork against a big bad or whatever it is. I thought of uh, your original story about the, the goblins that attacked the town. It might not even be something planned, but it might mm-hmm. be, like, this... Group B comes along and finds out that it is because Group A and their negligence that this town was attacked by goblins. Well, hopefully they're going to like say, well, ne- like if they're mad about it, they might try to take back the town, whatever it is. But that might lead to, well, their negligence has made them rivals because they're like, how dare they just pass this on by? It's because of them. We need to yeah. go. We have a bone to pick with that group now. So we are going to travel to meet that group with the intentions that we're going to bring them to their knees. And then you bring like, them together and have that confrontation happen.
2: Oh, that's so cool. Like, what if, like, and one of them is a is a cleric of the, the uh, god of justice and is actually mm. acting as magistrate and being like, I need to bring these people to justice. Oh, man, that's great. And, like, actually you can have, like, <laughs> a trial. And has actual
0: power in the world, yeah, and has actual, like, authority to do so. Yeah. Like, do those other players then become rogues? Do they repent for their, like, their actions? How does that play out? And, right. Not being like, oh, I'm the DM with the NPCs that are throwing this at them, but now you have players at a table running PCs with these really heavy issues and like working through it and and maybe coming to blows over it, but that's just great great yeah. storytelling that you as the DM can almost sit back and
2: just allow to happen. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, you guys, all right, you have your trial. I'll just be over here. <laughs> <laughs> Talking out amongst yourselves. Yeah, Look. that's amazing. I also, I thought you were going to go somewhere different with the goblin attack, uh, but it was another just, a, I mean, we're just throwing out crazy ideas at this point, but, yeah. you know, a, a, a mass combat or a battle scene in which both groups are participating would be a really great way to kind of do it. It would be a fun, you know, Different setup than than a dungeon crawl, but like you'd have, you know, uh, uh, one player group uh, leading, like the vanguard, for example, and another pair player group is leading the, um, you know, the artillery if they're like all spellcasters or something like that. Like how that actually play out a little bit, you know, as a real battle would, uh, in a multiple setting. That could be a good climactic bit. It could be it could be the start of the campaign. Maybe that's where it all happened, and everybody. Everybody else in the army dies or is decimated, and these, these are the two groups of people that are left alive, and then they have a schism, and they split up and then try to figure out what to do. I don't know. There's just so many great ways that I think all of us are latching onto the storytelling possibilities here.
1: So, Greg, if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you or see what you've got going on, where would they go to do that?
2: I think you guys want to know where to follow me on Twitter, which is at Greg Tito. Very simple. Ask me anything you want about the podcast, about Dungeons & Dragons in general, or me. I love as you can tell, coming up with weird, crazy story ideas and uh, hopefully finding some time to actually play them out at some point. <laughs> but then, of course, DungeonTheDragons.com is where you can find out all about our later releases. We have uh, Storm King's Thunder is out now. It's a very cool campaign that deals with the ordning of the giant types being smashed and uh, the small folk, the uh, humans, half-elves, half only half-elves, not the real elves, fighting against them and trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, and then, of course, Volo's Guide to Monsters is coming out very soon. There we soon. go. In friendly local game stores, there's an alternate cover that is only going to be available to game stores. It's designed by um, Hydro seventy four, uh, this artist out of uh, Southern Florida, and it's it's awesome. I, I've seen the cover, I've I've touched it. It is uh, totally <laughs> different than the, the it is glo- real the glossy feel that um, a lot of our other D books. It's got like a kind of a soft matte finish. Great art uh, of a mind flare on the front, so. Go ahead, check that out in your store. It should be out November 4th. Ah, oh, you had me
0: at Mind Flayer. Yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a picture online. It looks amazing. It's so good.
0: So thank you so much, Greg, for joining yes. us on the Dungeon Masters block. We really sure. appreciate your time and just your efforts, and we appreciate what you do for Wizards of the Coast oh, and for D&D. Thanks, man. So just thank you so much.
2: No problem. And uh, I, I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't mention those specific two episodes of, uh, of Dragon Talk that, you can, that I, I referenced a bunch of times. So... Go check that out. It's uh, uh, it's the longest d d campaign ever was the episode with uh, Robert Warbaugh, who ran the campaign for 34 years, or is still running the campaign for 34 years. And then mm-hmm. just recently we spoke to Ben Cameron about uh, Dungeon Mastering birthday parties. Uh, so if you're interested in more, I mean, these guys have been doing it way more than I have. And so if on this topic specifically, go listen to those episodes, and uh, you'll get a lot more insight from people that have been doing it for a long time. Definitely go check those out. Thanks, guys.
1: Yeah, we just want to thank Greg Tito again for joining us, and we hope that you guys enjoyed our discussion on One World, Multiple Impacts. If you want to get in touch with us, you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And if you like the show, you should definitely head over, no matter what country you're in, because we'll find you eventually, to iTunes and give us a five-star review, and you'll get a shout-out on the podcast.
0: You can follow us on Twitter at dms underscore block. That's at DMsblock. You can like our Facebook page. If you go and do either of that, you're going to get updates about the show, who's coming on, you're going to get dD memes and just DND goodness all around we have a patreon member shout out of the week and this week's patreon member shout out goes to will, will. Be- Thank you. Thank you so yes. much will be will be is a silver dragon Uh-oh. so he is on our forums he's got our bonus pods he is able to give us input into the future of our show so thank you for your support so much and definitely
1: if you're if you're not on the forums in the right place just let us know and we'll fix it
0: we will just
1: send me or neil a message as always this podcast is part of the block party podcast network check out some of the other shows on the network like the gm showcase story arc and of course we're so bad at adventuring and that's all we have for you today on the dungeon master's block the place where we talk about the dungeon master the most important person in the game the only person capable of playing god killing characters and lowering the egos of everyone else at the table au revoir everyone keep on dungeon mastering. Yes. I googled how to say things in a different language. All right. And with that, we will shut down the lights, turn off the computers, and do everything else that comes with not doing a podcast. Ah, that was weird. I don't want to do that.
0: <laughs> great, great blooper, though. <laughs> oh, that was
1: weird <laughs> Not doing that. yep and with that we're going to shut shut off the lights turn off the computers <laughs> and head home but I'm already home so I'm there <laughs> thanks for listening to Dungeon Masters Block. I don't know you didn't write it so then I got confused too <laughs>
0: this is the best this is the best
2: <laughs> goodbye